I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. To stay on the range, you gotta always get back in the saddle. It's high noon for Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 300th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You are finally learning that there is absolutely nothing you can do to stop any of us. You have messed with the wrong people. You have chosen and defined your enemy. And you're beginning to understand that through some combination of narcissism and incompetence, you have once again overestimated your relative strength. You are not the smart ones. You are not the righteous ones. You are not the moral ones. And you are not the majority. You're not even close. And as this process of understanding exactly what you have done by walking yourselves inadvertently into joining a hate group, a movement based solely on bigotry for the accumulation of power, you will begin to scale back your tone and your rhetoric, and you will hope and pray that somehow no one ever noticed and that you were just observing reality as it was coming in, even though You have spent nearly two years committing and supporting moral atrocities and you expect everyone to just give you a free pass, just like everything else in life. But here's the thing, commies, there is absolutely no chance of that. What you have to do if you want to rejoin society is two things. You have to get rid of all the stupid and evil communist ideas that shake around in your little empty child brains. And you have to make amends with all those people you have shamed and bullied and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. And the truth is you should beg for forgiveness from the people in your life who you abandoned because you were too concerned about the social costs of maintaining relationships you once called important. And that starts 
with recognizing that all of this is exactly what you did and it's exactly who you are and who you've become and you should run screaming from that because there is only one direction that this is going and it will not turn around. There is nothing that can stop it. And we are in the process of complete and total exposure of every last little bit of it. So what you have to do is migrate back to America. Do those two things I said. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Tuesday, high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies! Welcome to the show. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you come here as vultures to try to pick the bones of personal tragedy. But that's not going to happen. And if that's what you're here for, I can promise you that every day I will exist as a mirror held up to your face showing you exactly who you are. So with that said, let's begin to look at society as you have arranged it. Now that you have the very legitimate power derived from stealing an election and pretending that there really were 81 million real legal American votes cast for a demented and degenerate nothing that some of you still pretend is a real president. Because you see, commies, as many times as you want to say there's no evidence, there is overwhelming evidence. Not that you'll look, but you actually don't even need that evidence to know that there is absolutely no way that Joe Biden can attract 15 million more votes than Hillary Clinton and the Democrat machine in 2016, especially not while the man you're told the country hates adds 12 million to his total. You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. And historically, When illegitimate regimes take power, they have to use every element of the government and of the military and of the law enforcement in the country to prevent that illegitimacy from ever being challenged or taken. But the thing is, when your two most prominent characteristics are narcissism and incompetence, Holding on to illegitimate power becomes very, very difficult because you underestimate what being such a small minority really means and you overestimate your ability to wield power against the people, which is why dictators so often must eventually attempt to hold on to that power through violence. And I hope, I hope that we will never reach that stage. But we are certainly on the way. Yesterday, in the morning, Steve Bannon was indicted and detained for failing to respond to a subpoena from a wholly illegitimate congressional committee where they did not even allow the opposition party to choose to seat its own members on the committee. The January 6th commission has 
absolutely zero legitimacy, which means it doesn't carry with it the weight and force of the law. And so we see a corrupt Department of Justice serving at the behest of a corrupt and illegitimate fake president. And they have decided that the Constitution for them is null and void, and it does not need to be paid attention to so long as you can create a mythology believed by enough idiots in enough positions of cultural power to provide some public justification for what you're doing, even though there is no legal or moral justification for it whatsoever. And so let's think briefly back to January 6th and the lead up to January 6th. The claim is that people like Steve Bannon were plotting a coup against the government and they were somehow organizing the very violent insurrection. But that's not what happened at all. And the story about the very violent insurrection has fallen apart completely. The only person who was murdered that day was Trump supporter and veteran Ashley Babbitt. And she was murdered by a member of Nancy Pelosi's unaccountable Praetorian Guard, the Capitol Police, by a man so incompetent that he had already abandoned his firearm in the restroom at the Capitol in 2019. And he was so scared of this woman crawling through the door unarmed that he had to shoot her dead. At least that's what the video recorded by Black Lives Matter Antifa organizer and CNN guest John Sullivan. And we know of the feds, the infiltrators, Ray Epps, the FBI's role, the fact that Donald Trump suggested bringing in the National Guard for the day, but that Nancy Pelosi decided that wasn't necessary. The D.C. police, the Capitol police. No, we don't need the help. We are fully prepared to stage this fake insurrection on our own. And was there an insurrection? Did they try to overturn the results of a free and fair election? No, of course not. What happened on January 6th was that senators and congressmen from around the country were prepared to object to the fraudulent elections in a number of states and to begin showing the evidence before the American people. And the American people were tuned in. They wanted to see what was going to happen, what that evidence was. And they could have gone on for 24 hours, literally 24 hours. And at the end of that 24 hours, had this actually happened, a good 70% or so of the Americans in this country would have understood that it was clear and obvious and overwhelming that election laws were not followed, that election laws were changed illegally, that Mark Zuckerberg had put a half a billion dollars into elections all around the country to rig the system in favor of a man who shits his pants regularly and cannot think in complete sentences. And Americans would have understood that the results as they are given to us are statistically impossible. And Americans would have seen video of trucks arriving with ballots in the middle of the night 
and they would have heard stories about ballots being shipped all over the country, just mail-in ballots that never get mailed, never get returned, but somehow they're real legal American votes cast by a real voter. And they would have seen video of Ruby Freeman and her daughter pulling suitcases from under a table and feeding those fake ballots through the machine time after time after time. After the counting at the facility had been shut down with no one observing, clearly violating black letter election law. But instead of the American people watching all of that and all of that, by the way, is fine. That would just be a display of people openly pursuing the truth about what happened in the election. While outside hundreds of thousands of patriotic Americans who understand what it means to steal an election in the most powerful country on earth, gathered to protest and make their voices heard peaceably and patriotically, as Donald Trump said in his speech. But it turned out before his speech was even over, John Sullivan's people, a group called Insurgents USA, Ray Epps, these people were breaking into the Capitol and beginning the violence that we are supposed to believe somehow in direct contradiction to the space-time continuum was actually incited by Donald Trump. And it was actually planned by Steve Bannon. Well, I watched War Room every day. I heard everything Steve Bannon said. And I've heard everything he said since. There is no time where Steve Bannon has ever encouraged violence at all. In fact, he talks about it the same way I do. He says, we don't need that. We're winning. We're going to win without that. The left wants a civil war and you can see it. And we'll talk about Kenosha in a little bit. Detaining Steve Bannon is a heinous violation of everything our Constitution stands for. What is the real reason why they are trying to go after Steve Bannon? Well, that's because he has the biggest show in the world and he is informing the country on exactly what to do to take the power back for the people where it rightly belongs. Here is his response yesterday as he left the court. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the misdemeanor from hell for Merrick Garland, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered. Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One. And we're going to do, we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this and stand by. They, by, by the way, by the way, by the way, you should understand Nancy Pelosi took, is taking on Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. She ought to ask Hillary Clinton how that turned out for them, okay? We're going on the offense. Now, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. If I was some degenerate basic bitch celebrity wife in Los Angeles right now, a wannabe influencer, I might hashtag that mood. Do you really think a man like that is going to go down quietly or at all? Steve Bannon knows more than every single person 
on the communist side. Because Steve Bannon doesn't have to deal with the problems of narcissism or incompetence. Steve Bannon is a genius. Steve Bannon tells the truth. And Steve Bannon represents a threat as big as Donald Trump to the Democrat Communist Party, to the Uniparty, and to the global communist movement of which all those special Hollywood people are a part. And you fear Steve Bannon because Steve Bannon knows exactly who you are and exactly what you want and exactly what it all means. And he's willing to tell you. And I'm willing to tell you. And I'm willing to defend that man. You can try to paint him as somehow racist and somehow white supremacist with zero proof whatsoever, zero reasoning behind it at all. But hey, guys, the TV told you so. So it must be true. And all the influencers agree. And when are they ever wrong? I mean, they are getting paid to say the things they say, but they're probably really, really smart, too. Smart enough to have a complicated and convoluted explanation for the reasons why black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans are fleeing the Democrat Communist Party and coming to our side. And somehow, in your bizarro world, you think you are righteous and justified to support actual racism because somehow you believe that your side has all the good people and the good people believe the right things. And because the good people believe those things, they all become true in spite of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Now, here is a tweet from a member of Blue Check Twitter, you know, Blue Anon, the left wing communist conspiracy theorists. This is from a man named Gregory McKelvey. And before I read his tweet, I want to share this article with you from January 30th, 2019 on OregonLive.com. Portland activist finds himself snared in hashtag Me Too movement. A years old arrest has thrust a rising star in Portland activist circles into the middle of the Me Too movement. Portland's resistance co-founder Gregory McKelvey was jailed six years ago on suspicion of strangling and kidnapping an ex-girlfriend while he was an 18-year-old student at Oregon State University. Records show it appears the case eventually was dismissed, but police and court records have been expunged. So it's not clear how it was resolved. A news article from the Corvallis newspaper shortly after the incident offers some details of the September 2011 arrest, but the story was removed last year from its website after McKelvey contacted the editor. McKelvey declined repeated requests to talk about what happened. He released a statement Tuesday afternoon as the Oregonian slash Oregon Live prepared to publish an article saying that he has, quote, never in my life had a physical altercation with any woman. Instead, McKelvey said he was trying to intervene in a fight. I am sorry. I am sorry that I have not addressed this in more public terms in the past, he said. Fellow activists were aware of the allegations against McKelvey for more than a year, but questions intensified as the Me Too movement exploded and cast a harsh light on men in politics, entertainment and media who have been accused of mistreating women in the past. And the article goes on. But 
It's important to know who the members of Blue Anon actually are. These are the people with the verified badges, which means whatever they say should be taken very seriously. So in the spirit of taking people like Gregory McKelvey very seriously, his tweet is as follows. Employers consider giving your black employees a day or two off after the Rittenhouse verdict. Regardless of the outcome, it's going to be hard for black people to work, and it isn't fair to expect them to. So let's break this down a little bit. Consider giving your black employees a day or two off after the Rittenhouse verdict. Well, I guess he believes that Kyle Rittenhouse will be found not guilty of the five charges still in play, which might mean he's watched a little bit of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And perhaps he understands how weak the case is. And there's no justification for calling Kyle Rittenhouse a murderer or a white supremacist. And that both of those claims are utterly ridiculous. And that the prosecution's job has been done so comically bad that the outcome should not be in any doubt, although we'll have to wait and see. But the second part of this tweet is is really impressive. He gives the caveat, regardless of the outcome, as if Kyle Rittenhouse being found guilty of shooting at actual criminals who are white is going to somehow devastate normal black Americans. It's going to be hard for them to work, and it's unfair to expect them to. And the child brains in the Democrat Communist Party with big platforms will all think, oh, yes, what a good idea. I should reaffirm that I agree with this assessment of black people's ability to face the outcomes of jury trials of a white man defending himself against white criminals engaged in a riot with a gun. Is the assumption here that normal black Americans cannot detect the reality of what this is? Somehow this is white supremacy? Because Kyle Rittenhouse didn't want a mob of criminal marauders burning down Kenosha because they didn't like that a man who had just stuck his fingers inside his ex-girlfriend to smell whether or not she'd been cheating and had a knife in his hands as he tried to somehow evade his own arrest was shot by police in the courtroom. The assistant district attorney, because the district attorney knew how bad a case this was, the assistant district attorney called that roving band of marauders heroes. That's right. The rioters and the looters, the actual domestic terrorists in this country, Black Lives Matter Antifa. They're the real heroes, the people who robbed and looted and murdered and burnt down businesses and the Minneapolis Police Department and took over a section of the city in Seattle. All of those people all last year, they're heroes. And they're preparing for 
more heroes at the end of this trial. The Wisconsin National Guard has been called in 500 troops, but they were placed 60 miles outside of Kenosha. It would take an hour and a half for them to get into Kenosha and begin to organize. Why would you station people that far away if you were worried about violence in Kenosha? It seems like perhaps they want to create the illusion that they are responsibly protecting life and property for the residents and taxpayers of Kenosha, while also allowing the lives and the property of those very same residents of Kenosha to be destroyed at random because they're worried about the judicial system functioning properly in this case. And think about what sort of scenario, what kind of situation would allow them to believe they could perpetuate such nonsense as justifying riots because they don't like the outcome of an open and fair and televised trial. Well, they'd have to assume that there are enough idiots in their audience who will actually believe all their stories and help them justify this violence, which is exactly what the members of the Democrat Communist Party and the Party of False Decorum will do. They expect ignorance from their own people. And of course they do. They've been right about that ignorance so many times. But because of the narcissism, because of the incompetence, they don't realize that the number of people who continue to believe them is still shrinking. It's getting smaller and smaller while their stories and the things they are actually doing grow more and more unhinged. They're exposing every little bit of it. They don't want people to know the truth, which is why yesterday YouTube began taking down links that were streaming the trial live. They want to be able to control the narrative in full. And the only way they can do that is by hiding the truth from the people. But that never works too well, does it? Because each and every story they tell collapses completely. But on the subject of blatant and obvious violation of basic civil rights and corruption in the Department of Justice, let's get an update on the situation with James O'Keefe. And yesterday, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton sent a letter to Merrick Garland at the Department of Justice. And here it is. Dear Attorney General Garland, I am writing regarding recent reports of search warrants executed by the FBI on members of the news media in the course of investigating the alleged theft of Ashley Biden's diary. Earlier this month, the New York Times reported that the FBI had executed search warrants on the homes of several individuals connected to media outlet Project Veritas, including its founder, journalist James O'Keefe. The Department of Justice follows rules and regulations when investigating members of the news media. The regulations state the Department of Justice, quote, views the use of certain law enforcement tools, including search warrants, to seek information from or records of non-consenting members of the news media as extraordinary measures, not standard investigatory practices. Given the execution of these search warrants were not, quote, standard investigatory practices, I have concerns about the origins of this investigation, the motivations of the investigations and tactics used by your department. Please respond to the following questions and requests by November 19th, 2021. 
One, according to court filings, the crimes predicating the search warrants fall primarily under the National Stolen Property Act, which, inter alia, criminalizes the transport of stolen property across state lines. A, please provide any case where federal prosecutors charged conspiracy to transport stolen goods and or receipt of stolen goods with respect to a journalist receiving information from a source and describe how that comports with the First Amendment protections articulated in Bartnicki versus Vopper. B, please provide all cases where federal prosecutors charged NSPA where a personal effect such as a diary had been stolen in an isolated incident. C, Please provide the search warrants for any cell phones collected from O'Keefe and his associates, as well as the supporting applications. D. Please provide all federal prosecutions where prosecutors charge transportation of stolen property where a good had been abandoned by the complaining owner. And that is, by the way, what the claim is. James O'Keefe is not even being accused of having stolen Ashley Biden's diary. The story as we know it is that Ashley Biden had left the diary behind in a hotel room, much like Hunter Biden leaves his laptops everywhere. E, the NSPA has a jurisdictional requirement that the property stolen have a value of $5,000 or more. Please provide the process in which you assessed Ashley Biden's diary as having a fair market value of $5,000 or more. Good luck with that one, Merrick. Two, please provide a detailed description of the steps you took to comply with the Department of Justice regulations governing obtaining information from journalists, including steps taken to comply with your July memo broadly prohibiting acquiring journalists records through compulsory process. If such regulations were not followed, please provide a detailed description about why you failed to follow these procedures. Three. Court records show that reporters from the New York Times contacted James O'Keefe for comments very shortly after federal agents searched the home of an associate and O'Keefe's home. Please provide all communications between employees of the Department of Justice and the New York Times concerning the investigation into the disappearance of Ashley Biden's diary. Please describe any actions the department has taken to investigate the leaks from the Department of Justice to the New York Times. Four. Please provide all communications between officials from the Department of Justice and the White House concerning the investigation into the disappearance of Ashley Biden's diary. Did anyone at the White House have advance notice of the search warrants for the cell phones of journalists affiliated with Project Veritas? I look forward to your prompt response regarding this important matter. Now, it is obvious that there is no way in hell Merrick Garland is going to respond to any of this because Joe Biden's illegitimate administration does not care about legitimate congressional oversight. They do not believe in checks and balances on their illegitimate power. They believe in unchecked power, which is why they try to guarantee that for themselves in all situations. But Tom Cotton, despite potentially being a traitor from not challenging the results of an obviously fraudulent election, is not a stupid man. I mean, he's stupid enough to be corrupted by Walmart money in Arkansas, but not stupid enough to ask these questions for no reason. These questions drive to the heart of the issue. And he knows what the answers to these questions are. He's just trying to make the Department of Justice answer them anyway. There will be no answer forthcoming. Because to answer all of these questions, Merrick Garland would have to expose his own illegitimacy, the corruption in his department, and then the illegitimacy and corruption of the fake Biden administration. 
And speaking of overwhelming corruption in the Department of Justice, boom segue, I guess. This is a letter from yesterday. Congressman Devin Nunes writing to the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray. Director Ray, in advance of your November 16th appearance before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, I wanted to inform you of the topics on which I anticipate Republican members may address to ensure you were adequately prepared to fully answer our questions. On behalf of the House Republican Conference, committee Republicans have a responsibility to obtain full answers to these questions. Such topics include matters related to special counsel Durham's indictments, Federal Bureau of Investigation assessments of Konstantin Kalimnik, reforms needed to prevent FBI investigations from aiding and abetting political misinformation campaigns, such as those surrounding the Steele dossier. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? There's no longer any doubt that people in high-level positions at the FBI played central roles in the dissemination and propagation of totally fabricated and false stories that were used for years to intentionally undermine a duly elected American president and by doing so to weaken America's position in the world and jeopardize our national security. That is what this is. Back to the list of topics in the Nunes letter. The FBI's handling of confidential human sources, including whether these confidential human sources were employed during the January 6th Capitol riot and the status of reforms necessary to address the findings of the Department of Justice Inspector General in this area. Oh, wow. That's weird. I thought that was a conspiracy theory. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act including the systemic problems associated with the FBI execution of FISA authorities as identified by the DOJ Inspector General, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, and congressional investigations, counterintelligence threats associated with China, FBI's use of national intelligence program funding and personnel for domestic activities unrelated to the conduct of foreign intelligence and the impact that this has had on FBI's duty to combat threats from China and other foreign adversaries. Whether the FBI has used any NIP funded personnel or capabilities in relation to Attorney General Garland's October 4th memorandum concerning alleged threats to public school boards and other personnel and don't forget, we now know that that letter was based on a request from the illegitimate and fake Joe Biden regime in conjunction with the National School Boards Association, justifying Merrick Garland calling parents who attend school board meetings domestic terrorists. And the basis for the Garland memo, as Garland testified recently, was that letter from the National School Boards Association in conjunction with the illegitimate and fake Joe Biden regime and various news reports that he nonetheless could not cite or name or describe. And it turns out that the National School Board Association letter also does not describe those reports. The closest thing they had to violence or threats of violence was a man who was not very happy that he was being physically removed from a school board meeting 
because he wanted to stand up for his child. And let's not forget, let me actually provide, let me provide some context, as Jen Psaki likes to say right before she lies and tries to distract an issue. I am not attempting to do that. I am attempting to remind you that in Loudoun County, Virginia, one of these very grave threat incidents was a man who was upset that his daughter had been sexually violated by a boy in a skirt who was allowed into the girl's bathroom in school. And the school board did absolutely nothing about it. They tried to cover it up. They sent that boy to another school where he sexually assaulted another young girl. So much for the, the very righteous hashtag me too campaign. Huh, commies? And the final item on Nunez's list is the FBI's recent raids on the homes of reporters associated with Project Veritas, including media leaks associated with those raids and the FBI's commitment to preserving First Amendment protections. And of course, what he's talking about is the FBI alerting the New York Times that they were going to raid Project Veritas. Now, Project Veritas is suing the New York Times. And their case is advancing, though the New York Times' legal team made it so that they could delay James O'Keefe having the opportunity to depose the New York Times under oath. So what we have here is elements of the corrupt Department of Justice acting to uphold an illegitimate communist regime, trying to help one of their state media propagandist defenders from being fully and completely exposed in their corrupt propaganda practices. And I know the communists think, oh, well, this is somehow justified. And James O'Keefe is not a real journalist. Real journalists work for newspapers I've heard of and websites that come up on my Apple News notifications. But hey, commies, come on. Nobody takes you seriously anymore, except people even dumber and more gullible than you are. And I don't know how, but somehow people like that actually exist. And they represent a very large portion of the Hollywood community. Nunez's letter finishes. As you are aware, these matters have been the subject of extensive congressional interest and oversight activity. I look forward to your appearance and to your cooperation as members seek to better understand the FBI's activities relating to these matters. And so what Devin Nunes just did was basically run down a list of sources of panic for the Democrat Communist Party, the Uniparty, and Global Communists, and one of their enforcement branches, the FBI. Because if Christopher Ray actually answered to all of those issues. Truthfully, all of them would be screwed, but no one would be more screwed than Adam Schiff. Yesterday, Donald Trump released a statement. In case you missed it, Representative Adam Schiff, quote, I don't regret hyping the discredited Steele dossier. Schiff now admits that he knew the dossier was fake. He should be admonished or impeached along with the other scoundrels that also knew. And you know how many scoundrels also knew? 
pretty much all of them. And how did they know? Well, because the Hillary Clinton campaign and Mark Elias, the Democrat communist lawyer who tries to thwart election integrity efforts, his firm Perkins Coie, they were involved and Fusion GPS was involved and they paid for the dossier with all false claims inside it. And they pretended it was true and they used it against Donald Trump and they leaked it to the media and they used it for FISA applications, knowing the whole time it was false. And there are records of all of this and you can find it in the inspector general's report. But not only that, Barack Obama and Joe Biden knew it and James Comey knew it and James Clapper knew it and John Brennan knew it and Susan Rice knew it. They all knew it and they didn't tell the nation that the dossier was fake. And why? Why would they hide something so important? A false story was being run by the state media. And beneath that story was the opposition campaign, the opposition president and vice president, our intelligence agencies, and our law enforcement agencies. Why wouldn't they just come clean when they found out that the dossier was fake? Well, because it's protecting all of them. The truth is an existential threat to the Democrat Communist Party and to these communists and traitors. And they are traitors. They have committed treason and they will see justice one day soon because none of this can be hidden any longer. And the people continuing to support the Democrat Communist Party and this illegitimate regime are participating in that treason. There is no doubt, which is one of the things that is so shocking and confusing about these people still trying to defend all of this as if they have a leg to stand on, as if somehow we are going to reach the conclusion that they were just doing the best they could the whole time. They could have never known that this stuff was false. No one ever tried to tell them, no one in their lives. They just got tricked. Whoops. Hey guys, give me a free pass because I got tricked. Here's the thing, commies. No. Now, speaking of totally illegitimate regimes and totally fraudulent elections, let's go to ABC News this morning. Myanmar election body charges Su Kyi with electoral fraud. Wait, an Obama and Soros affiliate somewhere in the world got charged with electoral fraud? It can't be. This is by Grant Peck from the Associated Press. Myanmar's state election commission announced it is prosecuting the country's ousted leader, Aung San Su Kyi and 15 other senior political figures for alleged fraud in last November's general election. The announcement was published Tuesday in the state-run Global New Light of Myanmar newspaper and other official media. Allegations of widespread electoral fraud were the main reason cited by the military for its February 1st seizure of power that toppled Su Kyi's government. Her National League for Democracy Party was about to begin a second five-year term in office after its landslide victory in the polls. The army-backed Union Solidarity and Development Party suffered unexpectedly heavy losses. Independent observers, such as the Asian Network for Free Elections, found no evidence of 
substantive irregularities in the polls, though they criticized some aspects. Oh, yeah, we got a couple of things wrong, but this was not the George Soros election apparatus commonly referred to by the Democrat Communist Party and its members as our democracy. But before moving on, take a wild guess about whether or not something with a name like Asian Network for Free Elections might be funded by an organization with a name like the National Endowment for Democracy. And yeah, George Soros, but don't pay attention. Because admitting that George Soros actually does fund this stuff is anti-Semitic. In pretty much the same way that a person shooting at white criminals while being white in self-defense is an act of white supremacy. Back to the article. The action by the Union Election Commission could potentially result in Suu Kyi's party being dissolved and unable to participate in a new election the military has promised will take place within two years of its takeover. However, the commission's notice dated Monday did not specify which laws would be used to prosecute the accused. In May, the military appointed new head of the election commission said his agency would consider dissolving Suu Kyi's former governing party for alleged involvement in electoral fraud and have its leaders charged with treason. Commission Chairman Tian So, I'm hoping I'm saying this person's name right, said an investigation had determined that the party had worked illegally with the government to give itself an advantage at the polls. After taking power, the military dismissed the members of the election commission that had certified the results of last year's poll and appointed new ones. It also detained members of the old commission and, according to reports in independent Myanmar media, pressured them to state there had been election fraud. The new commission declared last year's elections and results invalid. The new notice from the commission said Su Kyi, former President Win Myint, and other leading figures in her party and the commission's former chairman were, quote, involved in electoral processes, election fraud, and lawless actions, end quote, related to the polls. It accused 16 people of carrying out illegal actions, including compelling local election officials to obstruct military polling booths, threatening such officials in connection with advanced voting for voters over 60 years old, forcing local officials to approve voting lists that included ineligible voters and interfering in campaigning to favor Suu Kyi's party. And let me just tell you, there is absolutely no way on earth anybody but a conspiracy theorist would believe that the Democrat Communist Party in the United States might do the same thing, even though all the people that are involved in our democracy, a.k.a. the George Soros election apparatus, are the same people in Myanmar as here. Couldn't be. Suu Kyi is already on trial or charged in about a dozen criminal cases in which a conviction would almost certainly bar her from running for office again. Several of her top political allies have also been tried or are facing charges. Suu Kyi's supporters, as well as independent rights organizations, contend that the cases are spurious and meant to discredit Suu Kyi and her party while legitimizing military rule. Now, if you were to look into those independent rights organizations, who would you guess has funded those? Ding, ding, ding. Also George Soros. We've been talking about this for months and months. A court in the capital, Naypyidaw, is scheduled to give its verdict on November 30th in a case in which Suu Kyi, Win Myint, and former Naypyidaw mayor 
Mio Ong, our co-defendants, a person familiar with the proceedings, said Tuesday, the person spoke on condition of anonymity because the government tightly restricts information about the trial. The verdict would be the first rendered in any of the current cases against Su Kyi. The charge of incitement, sometimes called sedition, is generally defined as spreading false or inflammatory information that could disturb public order. Dissolving Su Kyi's party would follow a regional trend of dissolving popular political parties seen as a threat to governments in power. You understand that every time our democracy is threatened around the world by elections actually being free and fair, we get situations and stories like these. Cambodia's high court in 2017 dissolved the Cambodia National Rescue Party, the sole credible opposition force ahead of a 2018 general election. Now, again, look at the framing here. Okay. You could say in America that the Democrat Communist Party is the sole credible opposition force to the Republican Party. But nonetheless, the Democrat Communist Party is involved in stealing elections. So if they were to be dissolved, that would actually be justified and it would be an action carried out in the name of justice that would nonetheless Eliminate the sole credible opposition. Maintaining a sole credible opposition in the eyes of global communist media is not a priority anyone should care about. Thailand's constitutional court in 2020 dissolved the newly formed Future Forward Party, which had won the third highest number of seats in the lower house in the 2019 general election. In both the Cambodian and Thai cases, the court cited specific violations of the law for their rulings, but their actions were widely seen as reflecting political pressures. And imagine the idea that something being reported by the state media to be widely seen is a suitable substitute for it actually being true. There are millions of rock dumb communists in America who think that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes, and they will continue to think that no matter how far his polls fall, no matter how incompetent he is, and no matter what the facts show in the case that Mike Lindell is about to bring to the Supreme Court one week from today. And just a reminder, it's not Mike Lindell alone bringing this case. In fact, Mike Lindell's name will not be on it. Mike Lindell has been the one who has undertaken the effort to compile all of the evidence around the country of election fraud. But on that quo warranto lawsuit will be the names of 20 plus attorneys general from around the country signing on to that overwhelming and verified evidence of election fraud. And wouldn't it be so convenient If the Democrat Communist Party and the state media were able to use the riots that may follow the Kyle Rittenhouse trial to distract from that quo warranto lawsuit, that if it is actually accepted and seen by the Supreme Court, will immediately take Joe Biden out of his position as fake president. And speaking of The Democrat Communist Party's efforts in support of the George Soros election fraud apparatus, also known to the communists as our democracy, 
This is a letter from yesterday by Antony Blinken, the illegitimate secretary of state. The United States is acting to promote accountability for Nicaraguan officials in the wake of the November sham election in Nicaragua. Today, the Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control imposed sanctions against the Nicaraguan public ministry and nine Nicaraguan government officials. On November 7th, the Ortega Murillo government held an election that denied Nicaraguans their ability to vote in free and fair elections following months of repression and and the imprisonment of 39 individuals, including seven potential presidential candidates, opposition members, journalists, students, and members of civil society. For years, the Ortega Murillo government chipped away at Nicaragua's democratic institutions and allowed corruption and impunity to reign. As a result, The U.S. Department of the Treasury announced sanctions against the Nicaraguan public ministry and nine Nicaraguan officials. Hey, Anthony, you said that already. The public ministry played a primary role in the regime's arrests of potential opposition presidential candidates, other leaders of civil society, the private sector, students and journalists in advance of the elections. The U.S. Department of the Treasury designated nine Nicaraguan officials pursuant to Executive Order 13851 for being officials of the government of Nicaragua or having served as officials of the government of Nicaragua at any time on or after January 10th, 2007. Okay. These nine individuals facilitate the Ortega Murillo regime's repression, including its human rights abuses or manage institutions that finance the undemocratic Ortega Murillo regime or otherwise sustain it at the expense of the Nicaraguan people. For a complete list of new sanctions, see the Treasury release. With these new sanctions, the United States, joined by our international partners, continues to take concrete actions to respond to the Ortega Murillo government's attack on civil liberties and free and fair elections. We welcome that Canada and the United Kingdom also impose targeted measures today. As the OAS General Assembly made clear on November 12th, under President Ortega and Vice President Murillo, the Nicaraguan government moves toward further isolation if it continues to undermine democracy and deny Nicaraguans their human rights. We stand with the region in calling for a return to democracy in Nicaragua and the immediate and unconditional release of political prisoners. And let's consider what we used to think about the ability for the U.S. and their intelligence agencies and other various organizations to install the leaders they choose into power in countries across the world, in South America, in Central America, in Southeast Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa, in Eastern Europe. This didn't used to be mysterious. This used to be something that we all knew happened. But somehow, the very brilliant and the very serious child-brained communists in the Democrat Communist Party have decided that nothing like that could ever happen here. The color revolution playbook that they have run in other countries and have run exactly the same playbook here just simply could not happen. And why could it not happen here, but it could happen in Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Eastern Europe, Central America, and South America? Why is it possible that Our corrupt intelligence agencies, in coordination with other organizations around the world, doing the bidding of someone mysterious. Yes, why ever could that be? What is the one thing that those countries have in common to the child-brained communists 
and our country does not to them. Well, those countries, they're not white. Those not white countries are where stuff like that can happen. Our country, our country, we're told by the Democrat Communist Party all the time, is a white country. And so the child brains think, well, they could never pull that off here. It's those non-white people getting tricked all over the world by our intelligence agencies in these color revolutions, the same playbook that they used here. It's impossible for it to happen here. But wait a second. That can't be the reason. The Democrat Communist Party is the party of not racism. And they are so not racist that if someone actually proves that election fraud has happened, maybe all the members of the Democrat Communist Party should be given a day or two off work because it's going to be hard for them to work and it's not fair to expect them to. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, and bit shoot. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. 
The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!